Welcome to The Ugly Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Alexander, she, they, and this is the place where creatives are encouraged to make messy, ugly art and let go of perfectionism. I started this podcast with my creative partner, Emerson, and we've since grown into our businesses, and this podcast is now evolving into a space where I interview other creatives to discuss our creative processes and how we navigate the mental minefield of creativity. This podcast serves as a reminder that you and your art get to be whatever the hell you want to be, ugly and all. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Ugly Podcast. This is just a really exciting, um, exciting episode today. I am joined by somebody who had a, a parallel experience to my ugly art journey, and we're going to just get all into it. Um, So my guest is a publisher, editor, author, and maker, co-founder and publisher of Canadian Small Press 910 Publications. She spends her days creating books and an online magazine. By night, she's a weaver, crocheter, and knitter who spends at least a few minutes every day making something. Through her project, Mighty Ugly, she encourages adults to make something ugly on purpose as a creativity exercise. She lives in Vancouver, Canada with her husband and son and a mutt who's named after a tree. Welcome. Would you please introduce yourself with your name and pronouns, please? Hi, everyone. I am Kim Worker, she, her. Yay. So good. Okay, I do have to ask, what is your dog's name? Ah, I was wondering. Uh, our dog's <laughs> name is Cedar. Cedar. Oh, that's such a cute name. Yeah. What a great he just heard. I like, heard him like outside my office stirring because he oh. heard his name. <laughs> oh, so cute. Oh, I'm... I'm really excited to chat with you. I um, So I went to the Women in Publishing Summit this year in March and somebody, I was talking about like the ugly podcast and my my vision for everybody to just make more art and just make it ugly and not worry so much about the outcome. And um, they're like, oh, you should read Mighty Ugly. And so I bought it immediately. And That's <laughs> how you found out about the book? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That makes me so happy. I wish I, I should have looked back to see who it was that recommended it to me. Um, but shoot, I didn't. Um, but yeah, yeah, just recommended at a at a writing summit. And so, yeah, I bought it immediately. And as I was reading it, I actually have this bookmarked because um, I was like, Kim is me. Kim is writing my book. <laughs> Kim already wrote my book back in 2014. Like, what is happening? <laughs> is it okay if I read this to you? Yeah. Okay. For most of my life, I insisted I was not creative. I didn't enjoy art, class, and school. I did not make stuff. I felt like I was an odd person. I did not fit in. I was awed by creative people, though. Silent and intimidated, I liked being around them, but I felt unworthy of their full attention because I knew I had nothing to give them back. That's exactly how I felt all growing up. Did not think I was creative, didn't think I fit in, but I was just so in awe of creative people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a sad thing to bring us together. (laughs) Like that's a hearing you read that back to me. I was like, I was sad about that for so long. Yeah. But what actually ultimately brought us together was how we've surpassed that. So tell me a little bit about how you started coming into the ugly art space and how that kind of started occurring to you. Yeah, for sure. And interrupt me because it's it's a it's a long story that I'm going to try to keep brief. But so, <laughs> okay. um, I, like it's it's kind of perfect that you started with that because that is 100 percent how I felt. And um, in the mid 2000s, at like even as I felt that way, 
I started working in the crafts industry and I, and I kind of fell into it. It happened kind of by accident because I had been knitting for about a year. It was so trendy back then to learn how to knit. And oh, I yeah. was living in a new place. It was not long. It was about a year after we moved to Vancouver that a new friend invited me to take a knitting class with her and I learned how to knit. And then a year later, I was like, well, it's time to learn how to crochet. And this was also a time when, right, blogs were becoming super mainstream. And I had taught myself HTML in the late 90s. And I was really interested in like the internet as a as a community building like tool and mm-hmm. what was going on. And there was so much happening with knitting that when I took up crochet, I went looking for the same kinds of things, online magazines, blogging communities, this whole kind of stuff. And there was almost nothing there. Mm. And so I got angry about this. Like the more I thought about it, I was like, what's the big difference between these two crafts? And so it, it wasn't like creativity that brought me into the crafts world. It was like injustice and anger (laughs) and inequality between these two crafts. And I was like, well, I may not know much about this new craft to me, but I sure know how to make a website about it. And since there are no websites, that's what I'm going to do. And like, that's what I did. I got super mad and I, and I wrote like a manifesto about crochet and how it deserves its day in the sun too. And (laughs) invited people to share crochet with me. I was like, I don't have any crochet to share, but I can be a conduit for Mm -hmm. yours. And that was the beginning. That's how I ended up working in crafts. I built a website. It was around the time there was a, there was like a crochet forum that was just starting up around the same time. And so that crochet community was, was starting to form online and I catapulted myself into the industry because we were the first sort of online magazine in crochet, certainly not the first online magazine. I didn't invent anything there, but um, I was in the right place at the right time. And I had these other skills that it took me years to really become comfortable identifying. Right. Um, I could make a website that was like human readable in a pleasant way. <laughs> and I could write and I could edit and I could organize other people to create something. And so that's what I did. And I, and I suddenly then was working in the crafts industry. I was working in the yarn industry. I ended up writing books about crochet. I ended up being hired to be the editor of a very prominent crochet magazine. And all of this time, I, I actually enjoyed knitting a little bit more because mm-hmm. I wasn't working in it all the time, but I didn't feel creative. It was that like, oh, 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 I work with craft designers, right. but I'm not one. And the truth of the matter is like, spoiler alert, I'm not, I hate designing crafts. <laughs> I don't like making patterns. I don't enjoy any of those things. But at the time I saw that as I am not creative. Mm-hmm. I just work with creative people. Right. And in working with creative people. I also was in a position, I started teaching crochet. um, And I found that I was different in how I didn't like doing things in that Mm. people would tell me that they couldn't. And they would frequently tell me that they were scared. And Mm. those were the words they used. They talked to me about their experience of craft in the language of fear. I'm afraid if I do it, I'll do it wrong. I'm concerned that I'm I'm all left thumbs and I'll never be able to do something dexterous mm-hmm. with my hands. Not to not to be negative about left-handers, um, <laughs> right? Like, and so so I but I, that's not what I felt. Like I felt 
very much imposter syndrome before I knew what those words were. I thought that people were going to find out I was a a fraud in terms of my own craft ability. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never felt like afraid of it. And the more I spent with people in the context of learning and trying new things and being out of the com- their comfort zone, the more I realized that they really did feel profound, like physical discomfort with this idea. Yeah. And so that stuck with me for, for years of working in crafts. And eventually I burnt out. I had said everything I ever was going to say about <laughs> crochet. I sold my business. I walked away from this dream job that I had. And I, I kind of tooled around for a while. And then one day I just well, I, I had a whole experience that I write about in the book, which was mm-hmm. my own ugly making experience. Yeah. Um, and it was then that I, I discovered a pattern in how I work, which is that when I experience something profound like that, like I did that day about crochet, I want to share it with the world and bring everybody into it. It's not just yeah. mine alone. Yes. Um, and that is where the Mighty Ugly Project came from. It was like, oh, I made something ugly. It was magnificent. I felt yeah. so liberated. <laughs> it was so exciting. And therefore, Everybody's... every single human on the planet needs yep. to make ugly things on purpose. And especially the folks that I had encountered year after year after year who mm-hmm. said they were afraid to. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where that came from. And I skipped over the whole anecdote about that ugly making experience. I don't know if you want me to go there or not, but that's kind we, of how things went. Amazing. We can get into that uh, in a, in a moment, but okay. yeah, I, I just the, the way our experiences are mirrored. Um, Cause yeah, I, I got into, I mean, and so to, to tell you a bit about my background, like I, I was in like corporate America. I hated it. And I just, you know, the pandemic did the whole thing where it made me reanalyze my life. Right. So I started taking an editing course and then I got my certificate in editing, started my editing business, started working with writers. And I was just like, yes, I'm working with writers. I'm working with creative people. I'm helping facilitate their visions. And it's great. And, but then at the same time, you know, when you have a business yourself, you have to do the thing and be creative and market yourself. And I, I had what your, the people you worked with experienced, which was that very real deep fear where my body would react. And it was like, nope, you can't press post on that blog post. Someone's going, you're going to die. A bear is going to come out of nowhere and maul you. And just that whole body experience. And so, yeah, when I had my ugly art experience and I was like, oh, I can make it bad and it doesn't matter. (laughs) It just opened up the world for me. And yes, same thing. I'm just like, everybody's got to do this. Everybody's creative. If I'm creative, you're creative. We're all creative. (laughs) Yes. And honestly, this is what I love about NaNoWriMo in writing. Yes. Can I swear? I don't have to swear. Can I swear? It's about the shitty first draft. Yeah. Right? Like nobody's first draft is great. And I love NaNoWriMo because it gives you, right, this is National Novel Writing Month, which happens in November. And the idea is to write a 50,000 word manuscript in 30 days. There's no way to do that well. So you just, it's about quantity over quality, which is not the way most of us think about writing. No. But so much of writing well is in revising. It's about just sitting down and filling the page. And then you go back and you can fix it all, right? We as editors know this, but it's really hard to do unless you do something outlandish, like say, yeah, I'm going to write a 50,000 word novel in 30 days, which I've never completed, but I love doing it. Anyway, it's about the shitty first draft. 
Yes, it is. And I think that's like, that's one of the ways I feel like the American school system really fails us is because we only, we turn in just like, basically we turn in first drafts essentially. Like how often, I mean, unless you're in an intensive English course where you're actually doing multiple drafts, you're really just doing one draft of something and turning it in and you get a grade on that. And then that settles it. That's it. It's final. That's how you did. Instead of like looking at it as like, no, it's do it more often and you will get better. We don't look at that like growth mindset that way. I had this English teacher in grade seven uh, who was amazing. And I only last year, like in thinking about this, recognized that I became a writer in his class Mm -hmm. because I I did that. Right. We had to write like a paper about a book that we had read. And he was a super intense guy. We were reading things that were not usual grade seven things. Like looking back, I was like, what? Not everybody had their grade seven teacher read Beowulf to them out loud. Like, okay. It was so super weird class, but he, I will never forget sitting. I remember where I was sitting in his class when he put my paper down and he put his three fingers down on the paper, just quietly until I looked up at him. Such a teacher move. Yeah. Right. And he said, do it again. And it was like, this magnificent, like I remember the waves of emotions. I first felt crushing shame because uh-huh. I had done it poorly and he was not pleased. But then I was like, <laughs> but he told me to do it again. Like I have another chance. And yeah. he had marked it up. It was full of writing. He asked questions. He made suggestions and he, and I did. And I took that shame and I was like, well, he's giving me this opportunity to let go of that shame. I have this other chance. And I actually hunted him down, not hunted as the wrong word, Uh, (laughs) but I found him last year. I wrote him a letter. We ended up having a talk on the phone. It was this beautiful moment, but it was just that one thing he did. It took like 15 Mm -hmm. seconds of his life and it changed mine forever. Wow. I love that. (laughs) It was awesome. That's so good. I try to be that as an editor, right? Like people give me there are things that they that are so close to them and so personal mm-hmm. and it's my job to help them make it better mm-hmm. while also making them believe they can right yes, like so exactly it's, yeah yep oh it's so good <laughs> I see oh I just feel like you're a kindred soul 100%, but I heard you I was like what <laughs> oh this is so good um okay so yeah let's talk about that first that first time we can kind of share our first ugly, ugly experience stories together. So tell me what yours was like. So I'm going to set the stage. My son hates when I do this. He's like, you're getting all dramatic, but it was, (laughs) uh, so this was all of the, the kind of history of my career happened when I was in my mid twenties. And around the time that like my whole cohort of friends was turning 30, my, my one super artsy creative friend decided he was going to throw himself like a crafty birthday party. And I didn't know what this meant, but I was like, I think this might be up my alley. Like, what does he have in mind? And he had this tiny little apartment and he put up, you know, like twinkle lights and turned all the lights off and he had some sewing machines out and he had like glue guns and all this kind of stuff and like snacks and drinks. And it was like, come and be crafty and make stuff in my apartment with like super loud music and snacks and drinks. Oh, that's so delightful. I want to do that. (laughs) It was like, I would like to do this now, right? Like, And so I went to this party and then... Like that was the imposter syndrome. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, my friends who for like years now know that I have this 
bizarro job where I work on the internet and I have worked for this publisher in the US that they don't know anything about because they're not crafty. And like, I know that like whatever I did during my day and for my career was like this super weird thing that nobody really understood, (laughs) but it was crafty. And now they're going to find out Mm. I'm not crafty. Mm -hmm. I'm not creative. I'm not artistic. I don't have this great talent and skill. And so I sat like really sad face, like sat on a couch with my like little like solo cup of punch while everybody was having fun and laughing. And and I just like sat there and I felt like I was in middle school at a dance, like standing in the corner being a weirdo and not feeling comfortable being a weirdo. Like now this is what I love about middle age. Like (laughs) what's wrong with you that you think I'm a weirdo, right? Like, but this was not the way. And so there was this giant bag of fabric scraps sitting next to me on the floor. And I was kind of idly like, like just sifting through it with my fingers. And eventually I came across this fabric and it was, it was ugly, but it was also textured. So in a tactile way, it was really nice to kind of play with. And, and eventually I was like, you know, I was going through this phase where in crochet, I was making a lot of dolls. Mm. Um, I was thinking very sculpturally and I, just had this thought that like, well, I liked this fabric. I kept coming back to it because it's so hideous. What if I made something (laughs) ugly with it where I tried intentionally for the thing I made to be ugly? And since I was working so much in dolls at that point, and there was also like a big bag of polyfill, you know, by the sewing machines and everything, I was like, well, what if I make an ugly doll out of this fabric? That feels like it would be within the scope of my ability. And so I like, you know, poked my friend in the shoulder and she reminded me how to thread a sewing machine because it had been a long time. And I I cut two symmetrical-ish pieces of this fabric and I sewed them together like a doll. I kept an opening open to shove the polyfill in. And Mm -hmm. then I didn't quite remember how to make an invisible seam. So screw it. I made a very visible (laughs) seam. Um, And then I found the ugliest buttons I could and I hot glued them. And this is a part, I don't know if you've seen her, but I I have her like. Oh my God. (laughs) That is incredible. Yeah. So I'm 47 years old almost. (laughs) And this is Shoshana who I made almost 17 years ago. Uh, And when I was finished with her, so this fabric is like, kind of a white woven fabric with the orange and green fuzzies. I always forget what the name of this fabric is, but it's like upholstery fabric. Uh Uh, So it's orange and green. And the the buttons I found that I hot glued onto her face are these Mm -hmm. like clear glass buttons about an inch or more in diameter with big red centers in them. So she looks like she's possessed. And then because I could, and I needed to feel better and Shoshana feels that she's beautiful. I crocheted her a brown curlicue scarf. She has no arms. She has only legs. She has this Frankenstein like sewed up and all along the side as well. Like it's just Uh messy stitches, but I mean, structurally sound, like she's old, like yeah. a, a lot older she's than my kid. She's the test kid. of time. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so I, and I, and I lost myself in making this as mm-hmm. I was sewing, as I was stuffing, as I found myself going like, well, what would make her uglier? What could I do to make her <laughs> uglier? And as her personality was coming into my imagination, as I was doing this, like the, it's like the whole background of the party disappeared and Mm -hmm. it was just me with a little lamp sewing and making this ugly thing I don't remember 
talking to anyone after my friend helped me thread the machine. I don't remember if I ate cake. I don't remember <laughs> if I filled my cup up again, but I remember finishing and feeling so satisfied and standing up. Like I stood up and my chair moved back and everybody looked at me and I was like, <laughs> look what I made. And people's faces were like, uh, are we supposed to feel happy for you? And I was like, I made her ugly on purpose. And people were still like, I don't understand why you would do that. Yay. Right. And it was this whole weird thing. And the feeling though, mm-hmm. like that was it. I felt yeah. so happy. Yeah. And so I kept that with me. That was back in to- 2000, <laughs> I don't know, six, 2006 or so. And uh-huh. it wasn't until 2010 that I started the Mighty Ugly Project. So that sat with me mm-hmm. for a while until finally I was like, wait a minute everybody needs to do and then (laughs) I invited friends over I didn't tell them why Mm -hmm. I got to experience the gamut of their reactions to this which Uh ranged from this is the greatest it's so liberating to like visibly blanching and putting their head between their knees because they felt lightheaded (laughs) and so it was this whole kind of thing and then I started doing it in workshops and I started traveling with it to events and eventually I wrote a book about it and it was this whole kind of thing but like that was the moment where everything started to make sense to me in the world. And Mm -hmm. I frankly started to feel more comfortable admitting and accepting that I'm a creative person and everybody's creativity comes out in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I love to be creative in ways that are absurd and inconsequential, right? I would be a miserable person if I tried to be a working artist. Mm -hmm. This is not something that I would like to do. However, I would love to sit in a room full of people and talk about the things like that make us creative and that keep us from being creative. And this is what I would, and then I would love to like dump a whole bunch of trash on the table and be like, let's make stuff from it. Um, So it was very, very liberating for me. And now I'm very excited to hear about yours. Oh, that's so good. That's such a great story. And I love that you still have her there with you. That's I'm going to have to get a picture from you so I can post that on social media along with all the announcements for this because you all need to see her. She's (laughs) glorious. (laughs) I'll send it to you. Oh, so good. Um, Okay. Yeah. So mine, and I actually haven't talked about this on the podcast. If my parents are listening, I'm really sorry. Um, Because my very first ugly art experience happened on psychedelics. (laughs) And it was, and I honestly think I needed that because of how blocked I was. Like I said, I would have those like very intense perfectionistic, like anxiety panic attacks. I would feel it all in my body um, whenever I felt like being creative. Um, I had these watercolors in my watercolor paints in my closet and they were dried out to hell. They'd been in there for 10 years. And I tried psychedelics for the first time. And I was like, I know this is supposed to like make you feel creative, So I'm just going to like have these out and here and I can play with them if I want. And I did. I started painting and everything that came out on the page, I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Like the colors are incredible. Like I can just, I can just go. And like every brush stroke, I was like, this is amazing. Everything's amazing. I'm amazing. I'm so creative. I can do anything. And I'm looking at this picture and I'm like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. 
obviously later the psychedelics wore off and I look at this painting and I actually lost it I have no idea where it went and I'm very sad about it but it is the most hideous thing you've ever seen in your life it is just I mean splashes of color like they make there it's just a brown splotch in places it's all melded together it is an absolute nightmare and I just like clicked I was like oh it's not the end product that matters it's how I felt in the moment and then ever since then I've just been recreating that feeling and it was just like it was so liberating especially that feeling of like after knowing that like oh I don't actually need psychedelics to do this that was just like a part of it that helped me get past the fear that I had built up but ever since then it's just like I just I love it my my favorite uh writing piece that I ever did after it so I I decided to do a little ugly writing exercise where um and this was like shortly after this discovery where I would start with um who was it what was their name I forget. Um, my character woke up on Monday morning and then every five minutes I would pause and I would insert something crazy into the story. And then I'd have to like resume writing. And as I'm writing, the first five minutes goes off and I'm like, and Catman Statham walks through the door and it's this, it's Jason Statham, but with a cat head and he walks into the door and that's like how the story starts. And it's just, I don't know. It made me so euphoric in this just wild way of like what can my brain come up with like what else is in here that makes no sense but is so hilarious to me <laughs> maybe <laughs> not to other people but to me it's hilarious um and it's yeah it's just ever since then I just love it it's great yeah it's like we forget at some point that we can have fun yeah and I mean not even just about making stuff like we can have fun period like adulthood is so serious but it's like, very serious. greatest thing I did in middle age was go back to roller skating. It's the yes. greatest, right? And the yeah. roller skating community is like mighty ugly, but sport. It's super body positive. It's you cheer when people fall down because it's learning. <laughs> right. It is so accepting and welcoming mm -hmm. and you're doing something new as an older person, right? Like all of it was like, oh, I get the same kind of euphoric feeling from yeah. that. Which ties into like these things I've learned about myself, like mm -hmm. it's absurd and inconsequential and mm -hmm. therefore I can roll with it and it's super overall with it. Ha ha. No uh -huh. it. Yep. But like, <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's super fun. And that feeling mm -hmm. is, it's almost like we, we believe at some point that we, we shouldn't feel that feeling because that's mm -hmm. childlike and we're serious adults and it's just doing such a disservice to ourselves. Yeah, exactly. I I love how ugly art just like reconnects us to that childhood self. That's it's so important, and especially because one of the things you mentioned in your book, and I've talked to um, Cami Osman about this. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Cami Osman, but she's awesome. She's a, a writing coach um, down in Bellingham, and um, she talks about the original creative wound that almost everybody has at some point where somewhere along in your childhood, somebody told you what you're doing is bad and you're not creative and you should just, you should just stop. And we all have that at some point. Or like we saw somebody do something better than us and they got praised and we didn't get praised and we're like, okay, well, I guess I should just stop, you know, like, oh mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah. 
what's really interesting to me thinking back even to that grade seven experience is that like, right, I'm a, I'm a writer by trade in many ways. And I never felt that about writing. I always felt super confident about writing. And maybe it's because nobody told me that I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I was praised and I was encouraged and, and all of that kind of stuff, but in the visual arts. So there was this time in grade two, and I think I wrote about this in the book where it was my first experience. Nobody told me anything, but this was where I became my own barrier was when I tried to make, we were making things out of like cardboard. And for whatever reason, like, I don't remember what the assignment was. I was seven years old or eight years old. Like, I don't remember what it was, but mm-hmm. I was creating a cardboard robot. And in my mind, it was going to be me sized. So mm-hmm. like, whatever, three and a half feet tall, right? right. And out of shoe boxes and whatever. And I couldn't do it by myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the intuition and I certainly didn't have the experience to sort out how to make it structurally sound, to make it stand up, to make it have legs that held it to, you know, lying down on a table. Yeah, maybe. But in my mind, it was a freestanding and I was frustrated and I can't remember how it ended, but I internalized from that experience that I wasn't good at it. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to like another city and a lot of years. And I was, I think in middle school art class. And that was when the teacher who all of the artsy kids loved told me that I should probably go into the sciences. And oh. I was old enough to know exactly what she meant yeah. and old enough to go to high school and take every elective to satisfy my art requirements that were not art class. Mm. I took like shop and I took like computer aided design. Like I learned how to plot things on big plotters when I was mm-hmm. in high school because it was no use to me to take an art class. And like every day I kind of wake up and I'm like, screw you. Look at what I'm yeah. doing with my life. Like, right? <laughs> but, it <was> like <laughs> but it was those, that pair of experiences, I think it was like a confirmation mm-hmm. of what I had started to learn when I was seven. Yeah. And, you know, looking back, it's like, you know, we talk about that euphoria that we stop feeling as adults, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's so within reach to us. Because if we yeah. think about any child in our life, anybody under the age of like six, even five, like whether it's our own children or a niece or nephew or a friend's kids or something like that, when when they make art, they think it's a masterpiece every time. Yeah. They love it and they will show it to you. And then you're in a position to be like, oh, I better know what it is that scribble is, or I'm going right. to offend them. But then we tell them it's a masterpiece. Uh-huh. We tell them it's wonderful. We tell, we ask them how they felt when they made it. We, you know, tell them the, wow, we, we noticed how long they spent on it. And boy, is it important to them, you know, that they did that. And we, we say all of those things to them and it never occurs to us to say it to ourselves or to each other. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's within reach. I think we can imagine it. It doesn't have to be this grand fought for epiphany because Mm -hmm. we naturally do it to the children in our lives unless you know we're those people who dash children's dreams and I'm just going to believe that everybody listening to this are the people who want to lift children up yeah um you know but so just as we we have experienced the power that an offhand comment from an adult can have on us it would be silly of us to discount that we have the equal and opposite power to be positive Mm -hmm. um and we can do that for ourselves, you know, like yeah. when we take 
classes as an adult to learn new things, there's this often this, you know, we pretend like nobody can see and it's uncouth and it's, it's like, it's, it's inappropriate to comment on other people's things. But why can't we say, oh, I see how hard you're trying there, just like we do with kids. And, you know, like we, we could, and why, you know, we could do the same to ourselves. And so I think it's just that little bit of a tweak and then a whole universe opens up. Yeah. It's just that little bit of permission that you give yourself to ask, like, what could I do? Oh, my God. Have you seen Encanto? No, I haven't. You need to watch Encanto. (laughs) There is this one song in particular um, where so this the one of the sisters is like the flowery sister and she just makes all the most beautiful things and she's always making the beautiful things and that's what's expected of her and then one day she's like her sister the main character like gets her all fired up and she gets angry and she creates a uh, stuttered there she creates a cactus and then all of a sudden it's like I just made something unexpected and she sings this whole song about like what else can I do what else do I have the ability to make and I cry every time I watch that movie and hear that song because it is exactly along these lines of ugly art and the ways that we hold ourselves back from what we could actually do with the world, what we could give to ourselves just for fun, just to make ourselves feel good and uplifted and excited, Um, not because we need to sell things or prove to other people that we're worth it, but just because we deserve to create. Yes. And, and it's more than that too, because it's, it's, Like, and I talk about, I'm almost flippant about like this inconsequential thing with me and creativity, but there are tremendous consequences. It might not be the thing that I make, but when we allow ourselves to enjoy taking creative risks, it's a, it's a skill we have to practice, right? It's, it's not like after I made this one ugly doll, I wasn't like transformed into somebody who's creative all the time, right? but I did shift my perspective whenever I had the opportunity well, to do anything, to try new things, to decide that what I was going to do or try or make or say or be in the world could be of consequence. And Mm -hmm. that is of tremendous consequence, right? That's like when we stop believing that we can't, when what we're really feeling is stuck or uncomfortable, when we start to prove to ourselves that we can and that the experience itself is worthwhile, then suddenly it can become, well, you know, what, what else have I been holding myself back from? What else might I feel uncomfortable about where if I just move through that discomfort instead of staying behind it, I might feel better about all kinds of things. I became a more active activist when mm-hmm. I became more comfortable exploring things I was uncomfortable with, right? So there's like all of these kinds of things where, you know, it's creativity, when we talk about it in the context of making things, doesn't just stay in that little box. It becomes a, a part of us, just as it was a part of us that we felt uncreative and weird and odd and held back and and comfortable only hiding in the corner, sitting on a couch while everybody else has fun around us, right? Mm-hmm. Like when we come out of that, kind of mentality, then there's all kinds of things we can apply that comfort to. Because we're going to know in the end that trying and failing doesn't conjure this bear coming out of the woods and mauling us to death. Exactly. It just means you didn't quite get done what you set out to do. So maybe that's over and done with, or maybe it's an opportunity to try something differently next time. But it's like, 
you know, there's, there's so many things of consequence that can come from having a little bit of fun and letting ourselves off the hook and starting to believe that it's worthwhile to yeah. make things just for the sake of making them. Yeah. Not to get all heavy. <laughs> no, get that's, heavy. but that's exactly right. And it, when you live your life that way and you're willing to show up that way and show other people, look what I made, look at this thing that I tried. Isn't it terrible? <laughs> then it also, it gives people a little bit more safety of like, Oh, I can show, I can show this vulnerability to this person. At least I can maybe like take the first step in, in exploring that creativity or exploring something that I'm scared of too, because this person's doing it and you know, they're making me feel safe to do it too. Yes. And it's it's a ripple effect to the people in your life. 100%. There is power in showing your vulnerability to others. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, 100%. I mean, like the thing that I always struggled with was marketing a project that was about making ugly things. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to get in on that, right? Like, <laughs> right. and so uh, the best time for me was always like at events where I could like, be bubbly and try and be like, no, you come, come do my workshop. Like it's going to be great. And then, you know, mm-hmm. people come in and they're like, what even is this? Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I almost hugged my editor through the telephone when he told me they wanted to name my book, make it mighty ugly. Cause yeah. my agent was like, you can't put that in the title when you uh-huh. pitch this book. <laughs> it <won't> right. Sell. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay. And the book didn't sell great anyway, but I'm still really glad that I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And that's how I feel about this podcast too. Every once in a while, I'm like, maybe I should change the name. And I'm like, no, it's the yeah. ugly podcast. That's what it is. That's what I love about it. That's the whole <laughs> point. And I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's super cool. I've never talked to somebody else who also had that challenge. Yes. <laughs> Who makes yeah. things ugly? We do. We do. We do because it's great. <laughs> 100%. We have this idea that everything we do has to be good or have value. This belief leads us to burnout. It can hold us back from creating altogether. But in my Ugly Art 101 course, I break down these restrictive beliefs and lead you through exercises that intentionally subvert perfectionism and bring playfulness back into your creative process. You can get the first day absolutely free by going to my website, scribeandsunshine.com and signing up on the homepage. Join me in my weird ugly art revolution. Back to the show. Okay. Um, gosh, I don't even need to look at my questions that I sent you. We've just been chatting. Um, I will ask, what is, what does the word ugly mean to you now? Mm. Oh, now. Oh, that's a good one. What does it mean to be now? Um, honestly, that's, that's, I didn't think of it in that context. (laughs) And what is immediately coming to mind, and maybe this is BS, but I don't think it is, is that Ugly to me now means an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an it's an opportunity to find the value in something that would otherwise be very very easy to dismiss. Um, and again, I think that gets heavy really quick when it comes to uh, encountering right, like what is ugly in a societal context, right? Often something that's different from we are what we are, um, something that's unfamiliar and. Like, you know, when we practice looking at objects that we find displeasing uh, and we allow ourselves to see what the value or, or purpose or consequence is of them, then we can bring that with us into the world as well. 
And it makes us a whole lot more willing and able and graceful in navigating real life situations that are different from what we're comfortable with and familiar with. And that makes us way more tolerant and open-minded as individuals. Um, But when I see something ugly, I see an opportunity not to dismiss it and to say like, let me like stop, take a step back, look at it, you know, from these different perspectives, what might the maker have been thinking or feeling? Why do I think it's ugly? Where might other people perceive the beauty? Um, It doesn't have to be beautiful to be of value, you know, like all of those kinds of things. Um, And I don't know if before, to contrast it against now, I ever really thought about ugly in that way. I think part of why I couldn't understand the fear that my students were talking to me about was that I felt comfortable screwing things up when I was learning. It never made me stop to get something wrong when I was Mm -hmm. learning something. And like my own growth of kind of like, don't be a jerk, right? Just because and I right. did, I was a jerk because I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> give it a try. What are you going to, you know, especially because I worked in yarn where you don't even ruin anything. Mm-hmm. You just pull the yarn out and you use the exact same yarn to make your next thing, right? So, so that kind of patience and understanding that I developed because I forced myself, I wouldn't let it go. I wasn't Mm -hmm. comfortable just being that jerk who is dismissive of other people's real emotions. Right. And so, um, I think that's what I feel now when I see ugly and I see this as a parent all the time with my kid who would be very quick to dismiss things because of the way they look, which usually like every time I get a haircut, he legit looks at me and says, it's ugly. Uh, which is, I know it's hilarious. I'm like, good for you for, for not using euphemisms. Like (laughs) you're saying what you mean, but also (laughs) you're being insensitive, but also let's recognize that every single haircut in the world is not ugly. It might be that you need a minute to adjust to something changing, right? (laughs) Right? Right. Let's just breathe through this and yeah. like maybe he's going to grow into an adult who dismisses things based on their surface, you know, appearance and not for my lack of trying, right? right? But like <laughs> but there are those conversations that we have now mm-hmm. um where well, I'm not offended by him saying it cuz honestly, I think ugly is great, right? right. <laughs> like okay, you know, sometimes maybe I'm a little too adventurous with how I cut my hair, but <laughs> it's going to grow back. And it's not about what other people think of it. It's, you know, what do I think of it? I hate my hair yeah. cut right now. It'll grow. It's It'll fine. Grow, yeah. Thankfully, I don't spend all day staring at myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been uh, slowly growing my hair out and um, I started uh making posts on Instagram about kind of comparing it to how like when you're writing a book it doesn't look good as it's growing it just doesn't it doesn't look how you want it to look but you need to not cut it you gotta keep <laughs> letting it grow <laughs> so I thought that was a fun uh fun metaphor yes um yes I love that I love the it's an opportunity to look deeper into into something, into its origins, into where it's come from, into where it's going. Yeah, that's really beautiful. It makes me think of another um, line in your book that I also bookmarked. 
He said, the more that I thought about ugliness, the more excited I became about beauty. The more I accepted my failures and failings, the more confident I felt about trying new things. It's exactly right. It's exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's weird to have me quoted to me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm yeah, sorry. I, I didn't mean to that. make you feel no, weird. No, no, no. It's, it's, uh, that's fine. That's great. It's, I mean, it's a good kind of weird. That's awesome. Um, but I think it's true. And it's like, I'll try anything now. And the thing that I've taken, like after I wrote the book, I started thinking a lot about perfection. It was Pinterest was really coming into its own around that time. And mm -hmm. I got, I hated Pinterest. And then, and then also in Instagram, because it was like, everybody is perfectly curated life, right? Yes. And it's like, oh, yeah. it's, this is fiction. This is fiction. This is a mm -hmm. lie that people are telling us. Um, and, and it's great and it's beautiful to look at and that's great. But the inclination that so many of us have to look at other people's fictionalized, you know, surroundings and decide that theirs are bad right. is really high. And, um, and so I started thinking a lot about perfection and what perfection is. And I hate it uh, because I also think <laughs> it's boring, right? Like yeah. it's great. You know, if I walk into like a new friend's home and it's, this beautiful magazine worthy layout, there's a part of me that's like, but what is their personality? Yeah. Where's right? like, you in this? Yeah. yeah. Who are they? Mm -hmm. Can I accidentally spill something and have it <laughs> not be a catastrophe? Right. Like, yeah. where do you live? Where is your unfolded laundry? Mm -hmm. Because I don't believe you don't have it. Right. <laughs> like, and so that, that aspect of, of perfection, I find it, it's dull. It's boring. I don't want to live a, an actual life that is as sanitized and perfectly curated as a photograph that took hours to create. Yeah. I want to, I like the mess. This is important. And when it comes to making things, so much of our discomfort is in trying things that we don't feel confident doing yet. And because we're not comfortable trying something and doing something we're not that doesn't come easily to us, we tend to give up before we can put in the time to get good at it. And so the the thing that I took to doing a ton of work on after By the Ugly came out is about what is perfect at different stages of learning to do something. When you yeah. first crochet a scarf, your first crocheted scarf is going to have very messy edges because new crocheters, like 99.9% .9 of them, have a really hard time identifying, it's a very technical thing, the stitches at the edges of their work. Mm -hmm. And that means that sometimes they add too many and sometimes they don't make enough and it makes the edges go like this. And I know this as a fact and I'm perfectly <laughs> comfortable saying that of the thousands and thousands <laughs> of people that I've taught how to crochet, this is the beginner issue. Uh-huh. And it's perfect for your first scarf. Mm -hmm. That is what your first scarf is gonna look at, look like. Like, good for you. Mm -hmm. You have done it. This is your first scarf. Do you have to wear it with pride? No. But don't look at it and say you're not good at this. Mm -hmm. Because what you have done here is perfect for what it is. Yeah. And now next time around, now you've done it. And we're going to look and I'm going to like zoom in or I'm going to pull out a magnifying glass and we're going to look at those stitches mm -hmm. and you're going to be ready to level up. You're going to be ready to say, oh, now I can see these hard to see things. And your next scarf is going to be straighter by miles and it's mm -hmm. still not going to be perfect. Right. But like 
that's perfect for what it is. Yeah. And we hold ourselves to impossible standards when we don't give ourselves the grace of celebrating what we make when we're learning. The pottery that's lopsided, the cakes that fall in, like all of those kinds of things are perfect for what they are. Um, And I wish that we would remember that more and, and, and then get excited about how it'll be the next time. Yeah. I love that perfection, perfection at different stages Mm -hmm. of the learning process. That's yes. I love it. We can't compare ourselves to people who really know what they're doing when we're Mm -hmm. beginners. That's unfair. Right. Right. The expert doesn't want us to do that. Yeah. Like nobody expects that of us but ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we can just let that go right now, like throw it away. Yep. Yeah. That's why I I love seeing people's early days and like progression videos of like, this is what I looked like on day one trying out roller skating. And this is me on day 365. And just like seeing the difference. I I love those videos. Those are my favorites. Yes. Yes. Austin Kleon has done a lot of work on like the tiny little bits you can do that add up to something tremendous in the end. Mm. And he's so right. It's like, yeah, we just need to show up. Hey writer, are you feeling adrift in your writing practice? Like the words swept you out to sea, but you have no idea where you're going? Climb aboard the writer's helm. I'm Lauren. And I'm Gabby. And we're both writers and professional editors who are here to support you on your writing voyage. With the writer's helm, you get access to group co-writing sessions, Q&A sessions, our private community chat room, and group coaching calls to help you along no matter what stage of the writing process you're in. Members of our crew have said that they've reconnected with their excitement for writing and feel energized from the support they've received from us and each other. You can sign up for the writer's helm at any time, which comes with a one-week free trial to make sure that we're the right crew for you. You don't need to navigate these stormy seas alone. Let the writer's helm take you to new shores. This has been such a great conversation. Uh this is my last question that I ask every guest, which is what is something ugly you've made recently? And I also thought for fun, I might ask you, what's the ugliest thing you've ever made oh. that you can think of? Okay. You can answer well, one or both. <laughs> I've got something. So the most recent ugly thing I made was a shirt. Oh. Um, I am uh, not good at sewing and I really want to make my own clothes. And I finally like set up a, a space where I can not get in my family's way by just leaving the sewing machine out. Mm-hmm. And I and I had this pattern forever and I cut it out and I had fabric from like uh, we have a, a little free fiber library in front of my house. Oh, and cool. somebody had left like a meter and a half of fabric. And I was like, great, this is free. I'm going to take this inside and I'm going to learn on it. So if I mess it up, I won't have spent any money even on it. So I won't worry about it. And anyway, turned out there were holes in the fabric in places and I screwed up the whole neckline. And in the end, the whole shape of the shirt is terrible. It fits me (laughs) poorly. And so now it's just kind of sitting there. Is it sitting here? No, it's sitting in the other room. Um, No, no, no. It's right here. I can even show it to you. I had it draped over my chair because like, I don't care that it's terrible, but I care that I'm not sure I want to make it again. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. 
right? It's like a high yeah. low. You can see like the hem behind it. Oh is yeah, yeah, kind of the... longer. And I'm not quite sure that silhouette suits me. And this fabric <laughs> really is gross. And now I'm like, well, the fabric is gross. Can I even tell if it would be any good? Right. Like maybe I should have used different fabric. <laughs> and so now it's like, huh, here I was thinking, I'll make this imperfect thing i'll learn it'll be so much better the next time but maybe at least i'll wear it as pajamas or something like that and now right. I'm like yeah, it's gross it feels gross <laughs> it's like it's super ugh, i don't even know and so part of it is ugly because i'm not sure if i got out of it what i wanted to get out of it oh, which yeah. was a stepping stone <laughs> yeah right so there's that and as for the ugliest thing i've ever made i don't I mean, I've made a lot of yeah. No, I was. Things. I mean, I don't even know if I can answer that question for myself. So I will not blame you if you can't answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know that I can rank. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, uh, there's no that is fair. front runner. That's fair in that race. <laughs> but I will say that, like. I still think Shoshana, when I see people's reaction to Shoshana, yeah. their comfort being like, oh, she is so ugly. There's none of the like polite, like, oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. So I do a uh, once a month event called Come As You Art, and it's just an hour of making ugly art in the evenings. And um, the first, the first time doing it, and I was just like, you know what, just like make something ugly. And I just like told people to make ugly things. But I didn't demonstrate until like after the, they saw what I made at the end. And I'm like, look, this looks like an actual child druid. I'm trying to find if I can find that one that I made. I don't know if I can. Anyway, um, but it, it was just like it was like an airplane with like a rainbow. And it just it looked like a third grader drew it. And everybody else had drawn like little flowers and like swirly lines and I'm just like none of this is ugly those are all super cute doodles I don't understand and so from now on I like show I'm like okay this is what I'm saying it can be this bad like this is the this is the threshold of how ugly it can and should be <laughs> I encourage you to make it uglier if you can yeah well, I mean, people so need that is... like demonstration of the permission like oh you actually uh, mean ugly yes yeah. what I tell people in my workshops is like not cute ugly. Yeah. But yeah. ugly ugly. ugly. Not ugly. like, oh, my nephew is going to want it ugly, but my nephew <laughs> will have nightmares ugly. <laughs> right? Like, and there's, and it's part of why when I did the workshop, I constrained it to a creature uh -huh. because I was like, there's too much if there isn't like a constraint. Mm -hmm. Um, But then the stories that people would tell, like my favorite stories were from people who knew that they had just failed to make their creature super ugly. And so when they would introduce them in the workshop, they would attribute all of these horrific attributes to them. Like, I know this is like Gord and I know Gord on the surface may not look super ugly, but Gord's blood is toxic. It's like a corrosive acid. And it was this whole kind of thing, which was so interesting to me. Uh -huh. Um, you know, because that's what like the tagline of what I did, especially in the beginning was like, when failure is kind of pretty, right? right? So it's like, okay, so these folks would would make up for their failure to make something aesthetically <laughs> ugly uh -huh. by attributing all kinds of other unfavorable and distasteful attributes. So right. that was always super fun. So 
I've played a lot with constraints, right? Like make uh-huh. an ugly house, make an ugly landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, because then it, it gives you that like, okay, what do I do next to make this ugly? Yes. What's in an ugly landscape? Probably more garbage, right? Like right. something <laughs> like that where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so good. Um, well, Kim, where can people find you? How can they support what you do? Tell sure. us all the things. Oh, thank you. So I'm KP Worker on social media. It's K-P-W-E-R-K-E-R. Um, the publishing company that I run is called 910 Publications. It's .ca. It's a very long. Um, and that's mostly where you'll find me. I have a website that's sorely neglected. So Instagram <laughs> is probably where I post the most, even though that's very infrequent these days. Um But yeah, thank you so much for this chat. It was such a nice way to spend the afternoon. Oh, yes, absolutely. Thanks for joining me. And everybody, if you haven't um, heard of it, you should definitely check out the book, Make It Mighty Ugly. Um, It's it's a delight. And it has a bunch of like exercises in there to help you like process your your mindset blocks. And um, it's very interactive and lovely. And I highly recommend it. So Oh, thank you so much for joining me, Kim. And for everybody else, make sure you keep it ugly. The Ugly Podcast is created by me, Lauren Alexander of Scribe and Sunshine. It is produced and sort of edited also by me and written and directed by absolutely nobody. If you like the podcast, be sure to rate and leave a review on your preferred platform and share with the creative people in your life. If you're interested in learning more about what I do, head to scribeandsunshine.com to learn more about my Ugly Art 101 course, my perfectionism workshop, my editing services, and the Writer's Helm, which is an online community for writers co-captained by myself and Gabby Goodlow. As always, keep it ugly. Ugly.